Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Mario Sacasa, welcoming you to another episode of the Always Hill Podcast. All right, as Christians, we profess that following Jesus is the path towards joy and fulfillment in life. But the challenges of following Jesus are real and present for all of us, even a Catholic bishop. Joining me today on the show to talk about the joys and challenges of following Jesus is Bishop Bill Walk, Bishop of the Diocese of Pensacola, Tallahassee in Florida. In today's episode, we discuss the meaning of obedience in discernment, why we call the cross of Jesus holy, and the importance of adequately portraying the gospel message when evangelizing. Bishop Bill peels back the curtain and beautifully offers many stories about his life as a diocesan bishop, including the difficulties of transitioning out of parish priesthood, the importance of his family when he discerned his priestly vocation, and the origins of his very vibrant sock repertoire. After the show is done, consider following me on Facebook or Instagram at Dr. Mario Sacasa to share your thoughts about this episode and others. I look forward to dialoguing with you on those platforms. All right, everybody, enjoy this conversation with Bishop Bill Walk. Bishop Bill Walk, welcome to the Always Hope podcast. How are you doing today? Great. Thanks for having me on. Thanks. It's a privilege to be with you. Oh, the privilege is all mine. I mean, I'm, I'm truly blessed as listeners of the show. I hope that they know if they don't, that Tallahassee is my, my spiritual home in, in many ways. It's where I had my conversion. It's where I met my wife. It's where two of my four children were born. It's where I thought, honestly, I would spend the rest of my life. But as God has his plans and his ways, you know, he, he led us here to New Orleans through certain, cer- certain circumstances. But my heart is, is still there within the diocese. So grateful to, to finally get the opportunity to meet you and uh, to, to just be aware of all the, the wonderful things that you're doing to the people in Pensacola, Tallahassee. So, so thank you so much for the time today. Well, you, bit, you were ordained August 22nd. Is that right? 2017? Did I get right, that right? Yes. Yep. So we're, we're, we're just getting close to three years. How has that been for you? Just how has the transition been from priest to bishop? What have the first three years of your, of your episcopacy been like? Thank you for asking. That's uh, not many people really. You don't get an insight. When I was a priest, you know, I knew some bishops and everything, but I never I didn't hear their stories or I didn't hear how they were doing, you know, or you just assume that, well, they're bishops, so they must be doing well doing their bishop things or whatever. You know, I'm sure they have bishop friends and all that stuff. But um, it's been a tough transition for me, I would say. Um, It's gotten easier as time has gone on. But I love, love, love being a priest. And um, I was just, I'm in love with that vocation, if you will. And then all of a sudden, right at the height of being pastor, uh, being in a great parish, you know, thinking about maybe moving to another parish or another country after that, then I I got the call to be a bishop. So it was really uh, very dramatic. Um, uh, There was a transition for me. It was threefold, really, leaving uh, the parish in Austin, Texas, coming to Florida, leaving, in a sense, the priesthood. Um, of course, I'm always a priest and uh, even a high priest, you know, but still, you know what I mean? Just uh, yeah. where I can do have the contact with people every day, doing confessions and weddings and quinceaneras and funerals and all that. And then the third one is um, Holy Cross. I'm a Holy Cross religious. And so on the day I was ordained, I basically left the religious life and became a diocesan uh, priest, a bishop. And so it was really hard to lead those three things, but especially I think especially the priesthood for me, it's um, uh, I, I'm getting to really like being a bishop, but I love being a priest and I miss being a parish priest. 
Um, thank you for your vulnerability and honesty and sharing. I mean, it, it, it is, I think you're right. I think so many times we just think, oh, well, the bishop is just there and we don't, we forget that he's a person and uh, that he's human and that just going through a drastic transition in one's life is going to have its own kind of turmoil and, and, and challenges. Um, but you said very beautifully just that those three things in terms of like leaving uh, priesthoods particularly and then uh, and then your religious life as well. And I imagine in your own discernment that when you first were discerning priesthood or religious life, that that, that must have been a question for you early on, uh, I would imagine. Or were you, was it pretty clear that you, you felt called to the congregation of the Holy Cross and, and religious life was a direction that you felt God was calling you? Or did you ever discern diocesan priesthood? You know, I did just, I, I grew up in South Bend, Indiana, which is kind of like the headquarters for a Holy Cross in this country. And um, my great uncle was a Holy Cross priest. I had Holy Cross priests, even a brother and sisters teaching me in the grade school there. Um, so I was surrounded by him. And so when I was discerning in high school, I mean, I kind of I knew that I was going to join a religious order. Plus, I come from a large family. There are uh, 10 of us children in my wow. family. That's awesome. So I love that community. I was born into a community, you know, and so, but just just to make sure I was discerning properly, you know, I looked into other religious orders and the diocese of Fort Wayne, South Bend, where I grew up, where I was born. Um, but in the end, it took me back to Holy Cross. And that's what I really, I love being in community, you know, having all these brothers and sisters around the world and supporting each other and sharing in our life together. And then all of a sudden you're plucked out of that and put in literally, I, I knew literally no one in this diocese and uh, put into a house. And they said, this is your house. I never lived alone before in my life. And at 50, 49, now I do. Well, I was 49, now I'm 53. Wow. Thank you. Okay, well, you mentioned certainly the challenges of, of, of leaving community and now being on your own. But then on top of that, I mean, 2017 then brought 2018, which brought after the, the scandal. And then the fall of 2018, if I remember, was also uh, Hurricane Michael. Is that correct? Which is like the forgotten Category Five hurricane of, of of the last you know 25 years. So having to deal with that in the diocese, I mean, God bless you, man. Thank you for your your service to the church. I mean, I think you you, you must take that vow of obedience very seriously, don't you? Well, yeah, that's it. As a matter of fact, you know, when I got the call from uh, the Pope's ambassador to the United States, the papal nuncio, you know, he 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 told me what what why he was calling and what was going to happen, and then. And then when we were ready for the moment of truth, he said, okay, you've asked a lot of questions, but now we need an answer. What is your answer? And I found out later that almost all the bishops would say, well, can I have some time to think about it? Can I, can I talk to my spiritual director? And um, sometimes he says, yes, yes, go, you go. And you call me back in a half hour or something <laughs> like that. But, in, you know, because of obedience, I'm under the vow of obedience. I was to a provincial I just said, yes, oh, yes, I say yes, with God's help. And he, good, 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 he said. And that was it. Uh, other people said, wow, I can't believe you said yes right away. But it's because of that obedience. So and, can, you, um, can you retell that story? Because I know you shared it in other places, but how did you get the call? I mean, how does that work? Yeah, so it was after Mass. I was a pastor of a large parish in Austin, Texas, had just had celebrated the eighth grade graduation 
mass and graduation. I uh, took all the pictures with them and their families, you know, okay, now get out of here. Go ahead, go ahead, graduate. You're gone. <laughs> you're out of here. And I knew that I had a wedding later on that afternoon and then confessions and the vigil mass, but the air conditioner had gone out during mass. Maybe that should have been a sign. I, I hadn't thought of this, but lightning struck um, and half of the air conditioner went down or something. And I thought, oh man, there's nothing like an angry bride on her wedding day. And she's going to be really mad if we don't have this place cooled down. So I went out there and I was just tinkering with this huge, massive air conditioner. And that's when the phone rang and I, I you know, I should have just ignored it, but I looked and it said Washington, D.C. And I thought, ooh, the White House. Well, probably not. Uh, it's probably spam. So I just propped it up on my shoulder. Hello. Hello. This is the apostolic nuncio to the United States. Well, I was sure it was my brother or something. I said, hello. I, again, you know, just kind of playing. And he said it again. And I said, who is this? Well, I keep telling you who I am. And I said, yeah, but who are you really? Anyway, it just went back and forth. And when he told me that he said, I am Archbishop Christophe Pierre, the Pope's ambassador to the United States, and I have a message, I thought, oh, my gosh. And that's just when, mm. I don't know, there's you there's knew. a movie. Uh, uh, sorry, to I don't know. You're fine. Anyway, I, I reference movies a lot. Do it. I think it's, it's Reese Witherspoon. When she hears she's a high school He's running for president or something like that. School body president. Oh, that's an election. That old movie. Something like that. Yeah. Yes. It's not the most appropriate movie. But anyway, yeah, when okay. she hears bad news, she gets this noise in her head. And so while he was talking to me, I had that like just thinking of all of this stuff. What is happening? Is this happening? What is God asking of me? I asked a lot of questions, you know, are you sure? I even said, are you sure you have the right father walk? Because my brother is a priest and a better priest than I, honestly. Um, I said, uh, and then I said, well, what about my provincial? I'm a religious. And he said, uh, we have a higher authority than your provincial. <laughs> so uh, having exhausted all of my, I, I even said, where is Pensacola? I don't even know where that is. And he said, oh, beautiful beaches. You will mm. love it. Mm. Nothing about the church or the people or anything. So after exhausting all of my, uh, you know, uh, questions and everything, I just, he said, I need an answer. What do you say? And I said, yes. Um, not knowing all of those things that you mentioned, of course, that would happen in the next couple of years, because it's actually more, oh you know, we had the, um, soon as I started here, we had some issues with, uh, uh, just some uh, personnel issues. And I had to move priests around right away. That was painful right away. And then, of course, you know, the next summer was the the, the news on uh, former Cardinal McCarrick, which is horrible, and the, the Pennsylvania report, which was devastating. Mm. It's not new and nothing new, but it's just the rehashing of what happened decades ago. And it was just horrible, as you know. I was a new priest when this first really started to break in the late uh, 90s. Right. But now a new bishop when it came back with the vengeance now toward bishops. Um, and then the hurricane, Hurricane Michael, which really, really devastated the middle of our diocese. And then uh, there was a fire in our co-cathedral in Tallahassee, yeah. uh, some uh, arson. Mm -hmm. um, just uh, one thing after the other. And now, of course, we all find ourselves in the midst of this pandemic. So, um, you know, I still say yes. You I still say, say yes. God, I still say yes. Well, I, I'm, again, struck by the fact that the religious takes those three vows um, of poverty, chastity, and, and obedience. And I've heard others say to me that uh, jokingly, or I guess not so jokingly, sometimes the obedience side is the hardest of the three. You know, people are kind of like, oh, chastity. Or like, no, obedience is, is often the more difficult one, um, which in some degree it makes sense. You know, so help me understand this, I guess, because what, what, is, what is an appropriate understanding of, of religious obedience? 
We talk about discernment in today's modern age, often in a, in a completely subjective sense, where it's like, well, I discern, and, and there is truth in that. It's it, Obviously, our relationship with God is very personal and, and intimate, and God puts certain desires in our hearts and does guide us and lead us, and we have to be able to respond to, to that call. Um, but sometimes we go places where we don't want to go, and, and sometimes we are led in a way that uh, is kind of contrary to some of the desires that we have. And, and I'm thinking about, you know, at the end of John's gospel. So after Jesus has risen and has had this famous exchange with Peter, you know, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. We feed my sheep. We know the whole story. But then as soon as he's done with that, it's almost like we forget what happens after. He finishes this great story um, and all the, all the beauty that's there about Jesus, you know, asking Peter and Peter replying. And then Jesus afterwards says this. He says, amen, amen, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to dress yourself and go where you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. That's Peter speaking prophetically to, to that's Jesus, excuse me, speaking prophetically to Peter. And then Jesus continues. He said, well, the, the gospel continues saying, he said this signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had said this, he said to them, follow me. You know, this, this notion that like, as we grow and mature in our faith, like God is going to ask hard things of us along the way, but do we still follow him? Um, do we still pursue him? And, um, and in most days I want to say yes, <laughs> you know, but if I'm being honest, some days I'm like, Lord, you know, just stop asking so much. <laughs> like just, just, just pump the brakes a little bit and, uh, and, and make this thing a little bit easier and a little bit clearer for me. Um, what, what are your thoughts with all of that, Bishop Bill? Well, yeah, I mean, that's a perfect example right there of what obedience is in its purest and best form. What, what Jesus said to Peter, I was thinking of the same thing, you know, when you were younger, you used to go where you wanted, but now, you know, someone else will lead you and guide you. But I mean, we look at the Bible, of course, and see from Genesis to Revelation, and then to our day, God calls people to just be faithful, follow me. Um, with Abraham, it's amazing. Abraham and Sarah, he just said, just leave, leave everything you've known and go. Where? Don't worry about it. Just go. Yeah, but where? where's the destination? It doesn't matter, you know. And of course, you know, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Samuel, um, oh, so many, of course, Mary and Joseph and the, the apostles, so many saints after that and, and us. God calls us to be faithful. So the vow of obedience particularly is a, or the promise, which is what diocesan priests make to their bishop. It, it's, it's, a, it's an act of faith to say that I believe God's will will be manifest in the community specifically in my provincial or my bishop. Um, it's not just, I think some people think, oh, so the bishop just says, uh, you're going to Siberia and then you have to go. That could happen, but it doesn't happen that way. It's, it's a dialogue. It's prayer. It's, it's me asking the Holy Spirit to lead me through my advisors and then saying, you know, this seems good for you and the church. I'm asking you to please make this move. And so it really is an act of faith, trusting in God and that, and the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit will work through our superiors. I mean, it's really, I look at you and I think you're married, you know, on the day of your marriage, you said for better, for worse, for richer, for poor and sickness and in health and, or a derivative of that. And, and typically that's not typically, but that's a vow of obedience to your spouse, to God's will working in your family. Yeah, so, uh, ab absolutely. Yeah. So, so where's human freedom then play, play into that? Um, because I think sometimes, again, people, I think sometimes people do misinterpret. They think that, like you said, it's, it's uh, well, the bishop can tell you to do whatever you want. 
and or your provincial can send you wherever you want and you really have no say in the matter. Yeah, I think it comes about. It's not just from on high that all of a sudden, you know, you get this call, although I did with the bishop (laughs) thing, I suppose. But uh, for for priests and religious, it's a it's a conversation. It's a relationship. I, I, I've got to get to know the guys well. I've got to get to know their par- the parish as well and the local church so that I can say, you know, not just, hey, we really need a priest out there in Perry, you know, sorry to do this to you. It's way out there, I know, but I'm going to take you from Pensacola and take you three and a half hours away and plunk you down there. No, it's a conversation. And particularly the person, the priest who, the great priest who's there, I won't say his name, but uh, in Perry. Uh, Good old Father Perry Matt Bush, <laughs> Father Matt Bush uh, is a great <laughs> great priest and he and I were we, we, we talked about it um, and uh, we, we've been talking for, for a year or two before that and, and uh, when that came up you know we talked and, and he said I think I'd like to do that very much and I said well that's great because I think you'd be perfect there and on top of that the community has been saying please we, we really want a priest who can help to teach us uh, to catechize us, to, to pay attention to our families. Not that the other one wasn't, but in a special way. And he's doing that and it's going really well. That's fantastic. So going back into that sense of relationship, and it seems that, I mean, you were a pastor before, but you weren't provincial of your of your community, correct? So th- is this the first time you've actually been in, a, in an authority where you've had to kind of make these type of personnel decisions among clerics and ranks? Yeah, that's it. I wasn't I wasn't in any position. Really. I mean, I was pastor. I was director of a soup kitchen for seven years. Um, but people will say to me, they say, oh, so were you a monsignor? No. Were you a vicar uh, general or something in your diocese? No. Were you an auxiliary bishop? No. What were you? I was a pastor. And it was taken from being a pastor to a full bishop. It's, um, yeah, it's really strange. It makes no sense. But it's beautiful. I mean, I, I look at it as hope. I'm like, man, this is great. I love this guy. Like, this is... This is what we need, you know, more men who, who have their, their feet on the ground and, and, uh, and know the stories and, and, and that could then model that, you know, and I think as you said so beautifully is that when you're trying to make decisions of personnel and moving, moving men to different assignments throughout the diocese um, or outside of the diocese, if men go on for continued education or whatever else could be happening, that you want to be able to foster that relationship. And it's in that relationship that you can listen to what their needs are. And then, and then also listen to what the needs of the people are to try to find the right match. So making sure that, you know, it's, it's, you ever read from good to great, uh, Jim Collins, you ever read that book on, on leadership? Not, no. That's a good book no. on it. Okay. It's called from good to great. Uh, it's one of the top books there on, on kind of executive leadership. And one of the things that he says is when he's exam, the book's about examining companies that made this transition from a good company to a great company. Like what are the qualities that we could look at and explore and say, okay, these are the 10 things that make these companies go from a good company to a great company. And one of the, one of the qualities is getting the right people on the bus and, and mm-hmm. knowing where to put the people on the bus, you know? So it's, so it, you need to have the right people with you and knowing how to, how to get them where they need to be. But the only way you do that is by having clarity of vision in terms of what you want to accomplish, but then also relationships with, with the yeah. people so you can listen to them and know exactly what it is that, that where they fit and where they don't fit. And so Again, in, in counseling and the psychological literature, it's better when we put people in a position where they're operating out of their strengths so that those strengths shine and bless others than it is when we put people just kind of operating continually out of the weakness. That that leads to burnout, you know. So, right. so That's right. And it doesn't end, of course, when someone is assigned there. You know, it's, it is that relationship that, that I need to cultivate 
we all do, but but especially me with the priests. Um, so I spend a lot of my time, you know, the way I'm wrapping my mind around this when I said I, I'm grieving not being a priest, I mean a parish priest, um, I, I really believe that I am a priest for the priests. You know, I'm the pastor of the priests. And so, uh, of course, for all people, but especially for the priests. And I, I really want to keep you know, I try to call several of them every week, um, different ones, you know, so I just cycle them all through. I visited with all of them one-on-one. It took uh, several months to do that, spent about an hour and a half with each one. Now I got to start that over again. Just, it's something that's just ongoing, just to talk to them about their prayer life, their health. What did they dream about doing in five or 10 years? I always say, I can't promise anything, but what's your heart's desire, you know, for ministry in your parish or your school? And uh, it's, it's an ongoing thing. Uh, praise God that you that you take that fatherly role for the the priests of the priests. Um, so, the motto, your motto, come follow me. Why did you choose that? If all the of all the mottos that could have been out there, uh, what, what what was it about that particular saying that that said, man, this this is this is going to be the the hallmark of my my episcopacy. Right. It's interesting. First, if I can back up, when as soon as I that when that phone call ended, you know. Um, my the bishop there in Austin called me and uh, he said, "Hi, Bill." I said, "What have you done, Bishop?" <laughs> uh, he's the one who you knew he played a role in it. <laughs> he really did. And then he gave the nuncio my my cell phone number, which is why he called. So he said, "I know it's all God's will." I, I said, I, "I'm going to get you back." But he and I met then the following day, and between my crying and, and uh, taking notes, I, I filled out four pages of just uh, things he said you have to do. Of course, you need to do this. You got to buy all your regalia. You've got to come up with a, a motto. You've got to do your shield. You've got to do this and that. I said, I don't know how to do any of this. Well, he directed me. And there was a, a person there in the Diocese of Austin. She's a, a graphic design artist. And he said, she's really good. And she understands heraldry and all of that. So she and I worked and she came up with my shield and everything after interviewing me and working on it over and over again. And then as far as the motto goes, um, I, I, it's funny because, you know, I understand when uh, there's the thing when when uh, women, especially when they're engaged, they practice, you know, their new name and everything and, and uh, whatever, Mrs. Blah, blah, or whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah the signature over and over again. Yeah. yeah. So I was doing that. And uh, in my journal that day, I, w- I was like, I wrote a whole bunch of mottos, possible things, you know. But I wanted it to be very uh, personal and something that speaks to me as a Holy Cross religious. Um, now, that's the fir- those are the first three words of our constitutions in Holy Cross come, period follow me, period. And um, and I first called my provincial, who was still my provincial then, and asked if I could use it. And he said, it's not copyrighted. But I love it because it's, it is two things. Well, first of all, it's two sentences. She said, should I put a period there? I, I've never seen a motto with a period. And we'd researched nowhere wow. in any, around the world have we found any, a lot of, most of them are in Latin, but then in the last 40 years or so, they're also in the language of the you know, the, the bishop where he's ministering in French or Spanish or English or uh, Tagalog. So I, I wanted to be in, in English. Uh, and um, I said, is that legal? She did a little research and she said, I think so. So I'm the only one that has punctuation in the motto, <laughs> which is pretty cool because, really you know, cool. there's going to be some bishop in Africa, like doing research, like, well, there's a guy in the United States. He's doing it. So I'm going to do it anyway. Um, but it's it's two different sentences. It's two sentences. Come. All right. That's that's just that's that's it. In it. That's Jesus inviting us. And then follow me. Now, I see that in two ways. One, I am telling people, reminding people of Jesus call. Come follow Jesus. But I'm also challenging them 
to follow me as I follow Jesus, which reminds me of St. Paul, who says, um, have in your heart, have in your mind the same that is in mine, you know, or he really encourages us to follow the Lord as he is following the Lord. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, it's daunting, it's challenging for me, as well as the people who will read it and who are, you know, under it, if you will. But come follow me. It's, it's a bold statement of faith and invitation. Praise God. Well, way to, way to break the rules there, I guess, a little bit with the punctuation. So, so maybe <laughs> 20 years from now, when the first millennial becomes a bishop, we'll, we'll get a hashtag for a motto. Is that, right. is that, is that where this That's is going? Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yep. Hashtag well, holy. Hashtag holy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I don't mean to be sacrilegious now. <laughs> That's fantastic. No, it's great. All my conservative listeners just groaned. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's great. You got to laugh. Well, so yeah, I was thinking about that. Even just the process of the shield. I'm glad you explained that. I was like, but do you just draw notes on like a napkin? Is there like an app that's like a secret app or something? It's like you know, make 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 your Episcopal shield. But but working with an art graphic designer just makes a lot more sense. But right, I, and I, someone who knows, she, she who knew knows. that exactly. you know you need there are things that are non negotiable. Of course, the 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 big the. The staff in the middle, the uh, the tassels. There's six for a bishop. Uh, I believe it's uh, what nine for uh, an archbishop, etc. It's green. It's behind, you know. There's a shield with. The, anyway, she she knew all of that. But then she asked, you know, what are some things, some images, some symbols that are important for you? And I said, well, clearly the Holy Cross symbol, which is a cross and anchors, anchors impaled within a cross. Um, and then I said, uh, Saint Therese of Lisieux is. One of my favorite saints, so I'd like I'd like a rose in there. So okay, great. And then I said, and then Brother Andre, a Holy Cross brother and uh, saint, um, his his image for really for him is an open door, an open door, which was the same one for Andre House, the soup kitchen where I worked. So that's in there. And then she said, all right. So anything else? And I said, well, oh, I've seen these curvy lines. I said, what is that? And she said, well, that represents water, of course. Is there any water? You know, it's important for you. I said, sure. I'm from South Bend. The St. Joe River bends to the south right there. So, okay, good, she said. So I'll put blue. It's both for the water and for Mary on one side. What would you like on the other side? And I'm like, hmm, uh, gold, because <laughs> I went to Notre Dame. So she came out with one of her iterations was like Notre Dame blue and Notre Dame gold. It looked like it came right out of the press office at Notre Dame. And I said, Ooh, no, uh, no, no. Make it a little bit more blue and more yellowish, please. Uh, so that's how we came up with it. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Doesn't the, the, the Notre Dame helmets, don't they have like gold actually sprayed into them? <laughs> they it's, do. It's yeah, a little over the top. And yeah. I, we, I didn't have that much money. So <laughs> they not that much money for, the, for all the, the shields. But right. it's beautiful representation of yourself. So you, you, you talked about um, obviously recognizing your, 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 the Holy Cross, the tie to the Holy Cross, your homeland tied to the river with St. Joe. Um, but then Brother Andre and the doors being open. Um, now, Brother Andre, or St. Andre, uh, was, was the, the, the doorman, wasn't he, at his, at his uh, um, what's the proper term here? At a college uh, school a, up in Montreal. Yeah. And, and so for people who don't know, I mean, uh, he, what's this, one of the jokes he says is, uh, the, you know, the, the congregation showed me the door and I stayed there for 40 years. <laughs> wow, good. I'm glad you remember that. Thank you. That's great. I have a, I have a particular devotion to St. Andre as well. And uh, just his holiness and then the countless miracles that were attributed to his name. And just by being uh, the hospitable individual, um, just being open to whoever comes uh, through our door and, and recognizing that the gospel is, is for everybody. Um, 
that it's such a beautiful, beautiful image. So what is it about that image that, that, that connected with you and, and again, wanting to put it on the shield? Yeah, it's again, it's it's it says a lot. When you look at a shield, it's supposed to tell the story of the most important parts of your life, if you will. And I just love that it's an open door. It's just, you know, uh, that, that goes with the, the motto, come follow me. Um, it reminds me of uh, the, the verse in Revelation, behold, I stand at the door and knock, open the door and I will come in and, and eat with you. Um, it, I just it just spoke is it's always spoken to me. And I guess being at the soup kitchen, seeing that on the wall, larger than life door painted on the wall, you know, every day as uh, hundreds of people came to us every day to eat or do their laundry or, you know, get basic medicines or, or water or ice or whatever, you know, um, it's just it, it's just a very inviting thing. And like you said, Andre, you know, Andre applied to uh, the college to Holy Cross and they said, well, you're weak you, physically. He was, mm -hmm. he was weakened. Um, you're not really an in intellectual person. So how about this? You just kind of answer the door for the important people. And, um, as you know, he did. And as people were waiting for the priests and others, he'd say, well, why are you here? Oh, I want father to anoint me to pray over my knee. It's, it's really hurt. Well, he said, while you're waiting, let's go pray near a statue of St. Joseph. And he would dip his finger in the oil that burned in front of the lamp in front of the statue and rub it on the knee and people were reporting they're healed and cured and they would leave their crutches and braces behind. And it was, you know, 10 hundreds, then thousands of people. So it just grew from there. But I'm really drawn to these very simple souls, if you will. That's why I love St. Therese of Lisieux, the little flower, or, you know, even St. San Juan Diego, you know, just a very simple person who was visited by Our Lady Guadalupe. Because if I can tell one more story, um, let me tell this on the, in the day after my announcement here, um, I had, I had quoted Archbishop Greg Amon, Gregory Amon, yeah. um, in, in, mm -hmm. in, in New Orleans, correct, of the, um, in my uh, press conference. And he called me the next day and he just said, I don't know how all these people are getting my cell phone, by the way. But anyway, <laughs> he, he had it. Maybe there's, well, there is, there is a bishop's only website, which is hilarious. I love that. Uh, <laughs> Uh, anyway, we'll have to um, edit that part out of the show so people don't know. I'm, I'm not giving you the password. <laughs> Hashtag awesome. It's not. No, anyway, uh, but but he called and he said, thank you for mentioning me. That was that was great. And and, uh, and I said, well, the Archbishop. And he said, you have to call me, Greg. I said, I can't, Archbishop. He's like, now that you're a bishop elect, you have to call us by our first names because we're brothers. So, all right, fine, Greg. That doesn't feel right. Archbishop, I said, this just, how did this happen? You and I, we overlapped a little bit in Austin. I said, you know me. Uh, I, why me? And he said, well, I love this. He said, yeah, look at you. You're not an intellectual. And then he paused Thanks. for a long time. It was awesome. He paused for a long time. I said, hello, I'm, I'm still here. And he said, no, no, hear me out. You're not an intellectual. You are a joyful pastor who's worked with the homeless and the poor and inmates. You come from a large family and you're a, a religious order priest. That seems to be what Francis is looking for. And that's what we need, frankly. So, but I love that, that saying, like, look at you. You're about as dumb as a box of rocks. Uh, he didn't say that. But anyway, um, because I'm like that, I'm drawn to saints who are simple. Hey everybody, this is Dr. Mari, and I'm taking a quick break from our conversation with Bishop Bill Walk to encourage you to check us out at faithandmarriage.org. At Faith and Marriage, we offer a number of amazing marriage retreats throughout the year, as well as speaking engagements. But on our website, you will also find some other awesome services and resources available to you. You can check out our United at Home 
uh, marital enrichment series that is available for you and your spouse to be able to work through as a self-study. We also have previous episodes of the Always So podcast, as well as links to our YouTube channel and blog and other amazing things to help you and your spouse grow in your journey of faith together. That is what we want to do is to help you the best that we possibly can to grow closer to each other and closer to the Lord. So check us out at faithandmarriage.org. Amen. Well, so, so to that, I mean, at your ordination and installation there in the Pensacola Tallahassee Diocese, um, I was there. I was able to go since I was working at Notre Dame Seminary. And I said, well, my home bishop is is getting ordained and uh, I'm going. I want to I want to see this. I can take the day off because it's only a three hour drive to Pensacola from New Orleans. And uh, so I went and I was struck by a number of things. Uh, having never gone to an ordination mass before of a, of a bishop, I was like, OK, I don't even know what to expect. But I was struck by, by a few things. One, the, the simplicity that you spoke about. Um, just seeing the way that you just presented yourself, carried yourself. I, I just I just saw that. And I saw that very evident. You were wearing a short sleeve cleric, which was beautiful. You know, even underneath there wasn't no fancy cuffs kind of hanging out underneath the, uh, the, 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 the um, I don't even know. I'm sorry. I forget all the terms here. But, you know, the, all the outer. Alb and everything. The alb the and everything else. Yeah, exactly. Um, but. So that was one. The, the second thing I noticed was uh, that you have a you have a pretty mean sock game going, uh, and uh, the red socks were, were were shining through when you were kneeling, which was awesome. And, <laughs> and, and I've heard that sock uh, that that it, it continues, right? You have right, you, right. The, the love for socks. Oh, yeah, we're ninja, ninja socks today. <laughs> so yeah. pause. Let's know. just pause right there for a second. Where, where, where does that come from? What, what, what's the influence for the socks? Well, um, it, you know, before it was a thing, actually, it was George H.W. Bush who uh, wore them a lot. I don't know if you know that, no, but I didn't know he's that. Kind of known for that as well. After he left uh, office, you know, it was kind of a thing there. And um, I don't know, maybe because I was in Austin, someone gave me some and I thought, oh, I can't wear these, you know. Um, and they were whatever they were. They were just like oranges or something like that. You know, it wasn't over the top. But I thought not during mass. Well, but then later on, I, I did. But of course, no one would see them. And then afterwards, I would show people like, hey, you know, look, I have, I don't know what watermelons or something or, or fish or something. And kids were just like, oh, my gosh. And so it became a thing. Just like with, when principals or teachers, uh, men wear ties every day. I know a principal who has 300 ties, you know, and the kids delight in seeing what he has every day. That's my thing. So I go around and people say, well, what are your what socks are you wearing today? And then because of that. Now I just get socks. I mean, pair after pair after pair. <laughs> and then when I went to, on my visit to Rome uh, in February, after we had our three-hour meeting with the Pope, there were 15 of us in that room. It was amazing. Um, afterwards, we were lining up. He said, and now let us line up for the eighth sacrament. He, we looked at him. He said, photos. And here comes the <laughs> photograph. Here comes the photographers. And um, I, of course, we had a little extra time as we're lining up. And I said, Santo Padre. And I, I lifted my one leg, my one, uh, yeah, and I, it, I had a, I had him, uh, an image of Pope Francis on the one sock, and then uh, I lifted my other leg, and it was Pope St. John Paul II on the other. Oh, wow. oh and he said, he asked, he, look, look, he's pointing, I've got a picture of him pointing at it, it's great. <laughs> and uh, So anyway, it's just, it's kind of a thing. I love it, it's great. It's great. So it's your thing. Now you have some socks with your own face on it now. Also, you've gone to that. You've gone to that point where uh... ridiculous. <laughs> I let it be known that I, I I don't think I've ever. I know I've never bought 
can I say this? I think I can. I've never bought a pair of socks, non-black socks, you know, for myself. Oh, that's so they're amazing. All so they're all really gifts. They really are just socks that have been oh given goodness. to you. Oh my goodness. Yes. Almost every week. Great. <laughs> well, I'm people sure, I'm sure people will continue to, to, to share more. Is there a limit? Is there a line where you're like, uh, nah, this is, this is, this is too much. <laughs> there is actually, <laughs> uh, you know, I have so many that when it doesn't fit in this huge drawer, then I, I, I give a lot away actually. So those who are homeless here in Pensacola are walking around with some nice socks with <laughs> shrimp on them or something or whatever, you know, Oh, praise right. God, at least they got that. So b- yep. back to the ordination mass. So the, the, the sock, red socks, short sleeve shirt, all of that just deeply impressed me. But if I may say, um, the, the, the part that touched me the most actually was um, you had your parents bring up the gifts and uh, your dad blessed you uh, after he gave you the, the, the host and mom, I think, gave the, the wine. And then your dad just he just gave you this blessing. Like I give my kids every night before I go to sleep, just a beautiful blessing on the forehead. And I was deeply, I, I was deeply moved by it. Honestly, just as a spectator, they are praying. Um, because what I saw in that moment was like this man who I don't know, this is the first time, well, second time really you and I've ever spoken that I said, this man right here is a Bishop, but he's still a son and he's not afraid to show his love and receive that love from his father, his father blessing him. His own son just became a bishop. And, and anyways, um, Absolutely. it really, no. it really deeply impressed me just in terms of a recognition that our, our sonship is, is never lost. Um, no matter how far up we think that we go in our lives or how great our accomplishments are, that it's all founded on, on relationship and, and primarily on being that son and receiving the blessing, um, from our fathers. And, and, and more so from our Heavenly Father. Absolutely. And that's where my vocation started, you know, to be a religious, to be a priest. Um, we prayed the rosary every day. It was That was mom and dad deciding that that's what we were going to do every day. So all 12 of us would kneel down after dinner and pray. And um, it was during those rosaries that I felt that call. This I, I wanted to do more. I felt that joy of, of belonging to Christ and being a son of Mary. And so... Um, and so, yeah, they, they, they were very nervous. They said, you know, especially when they walked in the civic center, they're like, well, do, do not ask us to do anything. You know, I'm like, Ma, you've got to at least bring up the gifts. All right, fine. But I'm not walking all the way back there. OK, yeah, we'll put them right here near you. So they did that. Yeah, and like I said, Mom gave me uh, yeah, she had the wine and, and uh, then she kissed me. And then uh, Pop gave me the host and I leaned in and he yeah took his thumb and just traced the sign of the cross very slowly on my forehead. And you could. Uh, I knew he was going to do that because that was that's something that he's been doing late in his life. But all the priests and the bishops there, especially, I think, just kind of gasped. It was a very, very touching moment, especially knowing that that was the last time I saw my father alive. Oh, my. Um, he, I was so privileged to have that that moment because then he went home back to Indiana, and it was two months later that he died. A couple months later that he died um, of heart failure. And uh, so I just treasure that, you know, I mean, just think that that's that's my last physical memory. I, I spoke with him on the phone many times, but um, my last physical thing. And then just one more thing, you know, when the archbishop then anointed my head with the chrism, he poured it all over, you know, and I when I when I baptize babies or confirm people, you know, when I use the oil or ordain priests, I don't just use a tiny bit on my thumb. I like I don't pour it too over the baby's head, but I'll put it all over, you know, I mean, just. 
it says that in the Bible, when they would do, would do that to the prophets and kings, it would roll off their, run off their beards and their arms. So let's use it. So anyway, so we poured it all over. I took two large towel purificators that was, they were given to me and wiped them, wiped off my head and they were soaking and they were put in separate bags. Afterwards, I gave each one, uh, one to mom, one to dad. And, um, and then when we were preparing my pop's, uh, body for burial, you know, we, we, uh, mom said, uh, is there anything else? You know, we put a little cigar in his pocket cause he loved that and, uh, and, and everything else in a rosary in his hand. And then I said, ma, what about the, the, the cloth? And oh, of course. And so she put it there, um, you know, in his hand and it was just beautiful. You could smell that, that beautiful chrism, that aroma. So he was buried with that. So. What, a, what an awesome connection it is to have that always with my father. Wow. Thank you for sharing those beautiful stories. Just really absolutely remarkable. Um, so going back to the theme, I guess, that we've been talking about throughout this episode has been following Jesus and, and not being afraid of the cross and recognizing that if we truly are faithful to the Lord, the Lord is faithful and kind to us. And when we do say yes to him, that not health and wealth, this isn't, you know, the prosperity gospel, but that there is blessing that emerges um, when we respond to the Lord. Um, so, you know, thinking about the cross, uh, I, honestly, this may sound like a dumb question, but when we think of the cross as being like this, this instrument of torture back in the day, for you to be a, a member of the Congregation of the Holy Cross, what, what does it mean for us to, to call the cross holy? I mean, is, is that saying... So yeah, what what is what like it makes sound so dumb. I'm sorry. Like, but what what does that mean for us to call the cross holy, and then to thinking about all of the sufferings in our life and to look at those as as holy moments? Is that what what, what are you thinking about that? Well, you know, it, right. It's a scandal. It is. It makes no sense at all. It's kind of like you know when when uh, the Israelites were being tormented by those snakes. They were being bitten in the desert and, and dying. What was God's answer? Well, make an image of the same thing that's terrorizing them, hold it up and let them look on it and they will be saved. So the cross is kind of like that, that the thing that terrifies us the most, which is being tortured to death, you know, we hold that up, we look upon it and it, it's just, it has to be an act of faith. We have to look at it and I say, and I, I'll, I'll even say in my prayer, God, I don't understand this. I'm sure there was another way to save us, but this is your way and I believe in you and I trust you and and that's the only way, you know, through death to life. And so it's a way, it's a radical act of faith and obedience just to say, you know what, like Paul, not only am I not embarrassed by the cross, but I'm going to boast with the cross. Because as we say in our constitutions and Holy Cross, if we shirk the cross, gone too will be our hope in the resurrection mm. where Christ has gone. We hope to follow and it was through the cross for him. So it's through that for us. Now, please, God, it won't be literally crucifixion, but if it is, you know, then we know that God will be with us and we will reign with him forever. But more, more than likely, our crosses will be daily. They will be little pinpricks every day for 10, 20, 30, 50, 60 years, 70, whatever. Um, but if we remain faithful, then we know that, that God will remain faithful with his promise, and that is to have us reign with him in heaven. So it really is. It's an embrace. We embrace that thing, which is a contradiction, terrifying, scary death itself. But we do that because we believe in the resurrection. Yeah. And, and we talk about this in the abstract and I've done, but I've done a number of shows that have kind of concretely spoken to the way the cross manifests. I just did an episode with a woman who's doing an, uh, 
a ministry for uh, women and men who are infertile. Um, I've had other conversations with people who are still single in their 30s and 40s. And these desires that we speak about um, that we that are good and holy desires, a desire to be a mother, a desire to be a father, a desire to, to, to find your spouse or to find your vocation, a desire to be free from certain sins like pornography or, or others that just are so crippling, uh, crippling, you know, in our day and age, that it, it, it's a mystery to think then that that desire being unfulfilled, that cross that's manifesting in our life in this particular way, ends up being the vehicle that God uses to bring about um, his salvation, our holiness, our growth. Uh, that's that's the Christian paradox among everything else in my estimation is that we can then look at this. Like it, I used to not understand this when, when I would read about the saints and they would say, well, I would boast of my afflictions where even when St. Paul <clears throat> speaks about that, you know, power is made perfect and weakness. I, I didn't understand that. I think as I've gotten a little bit older, I, I've come to understand that more because I've seen how each of those those moments of crises in my life or those those real difficulties in my life have been when I've chosen hope in the midst of those moments, I've seen God work through them to lead me to be a better version of myself, to be sharper, to be smarter, um, to be more tuned to his grace and to his leading, and to his prompting, and and uh, to, to in turn then be able to find more peace um, and, you know, to some degree, uh, some more happiness in, in my life as well. But that mystery, that paradox that's there uh, is... is is, is is it? I mean, that's the Christian life, unless I'm unless I'm missing something, right? And I think that's the key to evangelization today. You know, we can't just uh, if we're going to evangelize, and please, I hope we are. That's why you know I, I love what uh, Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI said: the Church exists to evangelize, not necessarily to build buildings and and even to worship. Although, of course, that is integral to who we are and central. But we exist to evangelize, Matthew 28, you know, go into the world. And so if we are to evangelize, it has to be with the cross and what lies beyond it. I know that sounds strange. And I know you think, yeah, people are really going to listen to that. But what I'm saying to people these days, when I have the opportunity, people who don't have any faith or say they're agnostic or atheist is, I mean, I hate to be kind of glib, but I say, yeah, how's that working out for you? How's that working out for our world now that we have everything that we've ever wanted you know, no rules, not a lot of morality, you know, no objective truths. How's that working out for you? Look around in the world. And I don't mean to be coy or glib, whatever, but I do mean to kind of show people that's not working. You could have the whole world, Jesus said. What What is a gain? What would it gain a person to have the whole world and lose their very soul? And um, the only way to, to have this joy, the joy of the saints, the joy of my parents, the joy of others, is to give it over to God and say, you know what, the world's not really doing it for me. It must be you, God. I trust you. And what what I love about the saints is that they didn't just say, you know, oh, my life is so hard, but it's going to be worth it in the end. No, they were the most joyful women and men that the world has ever seen. You know, I'm not saying that, you know, they had it easy or some of them died a horrific death and all of that, of course, but they just radiate. Mother Teresa, you think about her and people of zero faith were drawn to her and and they just said, I don't know what it is about this person. She is the happiest person on earth. She lives among the muck of the world and uh, has nothing to her name. 
She deals with dying people who are who stink and who are you know bleeding and oozing stuff. All and yet she is the happiest person ever. What is it about this woman? It's faith. It's embracing the cross. It's trusting in God. I think that's what's going to win people over for Christ. It's nothing in this world but to say, you know, this is not working. And you can and you know that because we can all see that. So you, it has to be Christ. It has Amen. to be the gospel. Amen. My, I did my doctorate at Holy Cross College here in New Orleans, the University of Holy Cross, run by the Marionites, um, the sisters of, of your community. And mm-hmm. the, the I remember having a conversation with one of my professors, actually, who was good man, um, kind of a was raised Catholic, but but, but loose and not really not really practicing his his Catholic faith in his adulthood. But we had a really great relationship, and and we were talking about the motto of the school, and it's uh, spes unica, and uh, and he says, what, what what does that mean? Do you know what that means? I said, actually, it, it means our only hope is in the cross. That's what exactly mm-hmm. what that means. You know, it's it's the full, our the full line. Um, you know, is, is just that that it's our only hope is is found in the cross. And he was like, well, what does that mean? You know. And so then we we started having this whole conversation about about this and about what we're speaking about, and, and this is the central tenet of the, of the Christian mystery that I think sometimes with respect can be lost even in contemporary Catholic culture. That sometimes we 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 want to compete. At a marketing level, you know, that if we're going to market Jesus, we forget that evangelization isn't the same thing as savvy marketing. Savvy marketing works because it fabricates need and and pre- presents products to be solutions to those needs. And the, oftentimes those solutions are glib or contrite because they just want to sell their product. Now, sometimes pro- that's fine. Some products are great. We're using a lot of products right now as we're using this. I need to do research which microphones to do this show and what platforms, what, what devices I, I needed somewhat of a marketing to know what was available to me, to be able to use the technical, you know, things that I'm using to even conduct a show like this. But I would never say that, you know, the happiness that I get from my iPhone isn't, is the same thing as the, is the satisfaction that comes from being in a relationship with God. Um, right. Because at the end of the day, uh, one is, one is more concrete, one is more real and, and one is more present in the mystery of the suffering that I experience. Um, so uh, here, let me read something from your congregation, uh, from your constitution, if I can. This is from, uh, from eight here. It says, uh, Jesus entered into the pain and death that sin afflicts. He accepted the torment, but gave us joy in return. We whom he has sent to minister amid the same sin and pain must know that we too shall find the cross and the hope it promises. The face of every human being who suffers is for us the face of Jesus who mounted the cross to take the sting out of death. Ours must be the same cross and the same hope. What do you think, Bishop Bill? Oh boy, I love that. That's just, I, I almost have it memorized. Um, I, I love that because it, it you, you were talking about it, the abstract versus the concrete. And we do have to concretize this too, because we can't just, you know, put out platitudes and just philosophies out there. That's just not going to help people. But um I mean, help to, to, you know, people on the basic level to, to, uh, you know, come to, to the church, come to know the Lord. But um, so what that does is it says, look, every, everyone out there is Jesus Christ. It's not just some uh, philosophy or some historical figure that we are serving in Jesus Christ, but it's the face of every person. It's the homeless person there. It's you, it's your wife. You know, it's the people you live with, people with whom you you interact at work. We Jesus Himself said it, Matthew twenty five. You know, I was hungry and you gave me food, and I love it. Mother Teresa just kept saying that. She said, "No, no, He actually meant that literally." You know, this is not a philosophical statement. He meant that literally. When we serve others, we serve Him. Or, on the other hand, we don't. 
this is just a very interesting thing. Just a quick, I, I, I like to tell stories like this because people don't, I never, I never heard these, but when I was meeting with the, with Pope Francis, with the other 14 bishops in a circle, like I said, three hours, just hearing him. And, you know, and this is just, the press, a pause, just a pause. This is the other 14 bishops who ordained around the same in, time. In this region, in this region, in, in this region. This, no, this okay. is the region, the, the Florida and Georgia. Got it. And um, anyway, so um, we were just talking and it was just really neat. I got an insight of the, the apostles, which were the successors of the apostles sitting at the feet of Jesus. And, um, you know, the media is not kind to a lot of us, not sometimes me and uh, him, certainly. And he said that what I saw there is, a, is the heart of a shepherd, a pastor. And it was so awesome. But, but he was talking about Matthew 25. And he said, and this is in Italian, it was translated to us, although you understood, but he said, and Jesus said, I was hungry and you gave me no food. And he made, you know, face. We know he, he, he makes these faces. And he said, so I say to you, uh, I think it's in Italian, Bavia, go away. And he waved his hand like this. And then he said, and I was naked and you didn't clothe me, Bavia. And it was so harsh to look at his face. Here's the vicar of Christ saying, get away from me. Mm-hmm. That I thought, I never, ever want to see this. You know what I mean? From Jesus it would be so terrifying for Jesus to have that same look and say, get away, go away. Um, so anyway, that's, that's just to say that Jesus was, he meant that literally that you must serve me in serving my brothers and sisters in the world. And so same thing, if we embrace the cross, we, that means being like Jesus in the world. And if we do that, we will be like him in heaven. And live with him in heaven. Amen. And when Jesus says that the poor will be with us always, um, I think it's, it, I've reflected on that, not just in, in the literal sense, but, well, in the little sense, even in me and in my life, when we talked about simple saints and the beautiful thing about those saints that we reference is that they had no, like St. Andre, he wasn't the smartest of the bunch. Um, he was literally not even really accepted to, he wasn't accepted to be a priest for his community. Um, and he was just kind of, well, you know, the best you can be is the porter. Like, that's it. This is the best that's going to happen for you is, is you're going to answer the door and, uh, and that's it. But out of faithfulness to that, I said, okay, well, if this is it, then great. I accept the place where God's called me. But then it gave them front, literally, you know, front door access to, to everybody who was coming in and blessing them and praying for them. And then opening up his desire to create the shrine, which I haven't been to, but I would love to get to at some point up in Canada to see it. Cause I, I just hear it's, it's absolutely spectacular. The shrine of St. Joseph, that the simple man being faithful in responding to the needs of people and that's it would provide all this grace and all this blessing. Like that's the incarnation. That's the mystery of God's presence. And so even within our own lives, we have to, we have to accept our, our, our own poverty, our own limitations, our own, um, I hate using this word because I think it's so, so overused, but brokenness, um, you know, just our own place within ourselves to be able to say like, there, there's some of me that I, I just can't save myself. And, and as a therapist, I know that's what compels me then to be able to, to work with the people that I work with and helping them and recognizing that, like, I, I know what my limitations have caused in my life. I know what pain that that's caused. I know what, what, what opportunities I've lost because of, of certain experiences, or certain decisions that I've made, but being able to help others then walk through their own discernments and their own, their own struggles. Um, it's the cross, man. It's just, that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's what it is. 
Yeah, it really is. And, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking about St. John in his letters. What we preach to you is something we have heard, something we've touched, something we've seen with our eyes. It's, again, it's not a concept. It, it has to be lived out today. And, and um, yeah, that's that's the way that we experience not only that's not the not just the way to be obedient, but what we have to show people is this it brings us great joy. I don't mean happiness like, oh, everything's great. But this 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 sense of joy that the world cannot give. One more quick story. I was, you know, when I went around the, um, I was a vocation director at one point. So I'd go to high schools and colleges and talk to young people about uh, religious vocation. And I would let them ask me questions, you know, all the time, just anything you want. And so it was unfiltered and um, I respected. I said, if you ask a question, just know you're going to get an answer. <laughs> and, uh, and they did. And it was really good and hard hitting. But it always came around to celibacy, of course, you know, especially for high school kids, um, but even for college kids as well. They, they just they said, but I don't I don't get it. I mean, how can how does that bring you happiness? I mean, you've done this. You're going to do this forever. Are you sure? And I said, yeah, uh, I and I can't explain why. And I think about, you know, sometimes I, I wonder what it would have been like to have been married and have kids and everything. I have 50 some nieces and nephews and help to babysit them at, at times and love kids and all that. Um, but I can't I can't explain it, you guys. I'm just so happy. And, and it's great to hear guys who had lived with me on campus at Notre Dame four years. These seniors would be like because they asked me that question. They said, that's what makes no sense. You are the happiest person in this dorm of 180, you know, college men. They said, we just don't get it. And, and I said, I can't explain to you, boys. It's, it's just when you find that, you know, what, what what God wants for you, that's what will bring you joy and nothing that's selfish or nothing you think, you know, that, that you want will bring you that joy, but only doing God's will. Amen. So, so the door is open. How do we get people through the door? Mm, um, that's good. Well, you know what? I, I love that uh, all three of our, the, the last popes, including this uh, Pope Francis, can consistently talk about going out. We've got to, especially Francis now, you know, building on what uh, Pope John Paul and Pope Benedict have said, we've got to evangelize. We've got to go out of our churches, out of our rectories, our houses, into the world. And, and therein uh, lies a special calling for the laity, especially because as Vatican II, uh, the documents there say, the laity are, they have the most contact with people out there in stores and schools and workplaces and malls. Do we have any malls anymore? I don't think so. But anyway, uh, right now in COVID. <laughs> so all of us need to do that. So I think, you know, to and what does that mean? Does that mean we go stand on corners? I don't know. Probably not. But for a few people, I know a couple people are doing that. Some of our priests go on campus. One of our priests is one of our priests uh, has sets up shop there in the middle of FSU and just puts out a, a little sandwich board and says, need to talk to a priest. And he just sits there. I love it. That's awesome. But I think for most of us, it's going to be sharing our faith in a restaurant, you know, before you eat, by bowing your heads with your family and praying. How many times do we hear people come up and say, thank you so much, that means a lot to me. Or by just injecting that when someone, you're talking to someone at work and they're like, look at this world, there's no hope, we're all going to go, we're all going to hell or whatever. You're like, well, actually, no, that's not what we believe. Yeah, things look bad, but God is with us. You must have, there's that. I think we we, we witness in those ways, in little ways and, and big ways, just like you did to that uh, colleague at uh, at Holy Cross, you know, uh, it's it's great. It's like the story in, in the Bible in the Acts when the, the Ethiopian eunuch says to Philip, uh, Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? 
And he says, how can I, if no one's here to explain it? And Philip gets in the chariot and explains, and then they see water and he's like, can I be baptized? Okay, They're, he's baptized. So it's just waiting for those little openings, but going in when the door is open and, and feeding people uh, the gospel, the good news. Amen. Wonderful. Well, Bishop Bill, it's been a delight having you on the show. A uh, couple final questions here. If uh, people have connected, how, how, how can they get more? How can they find you on on? on? Well, um, I, I would say Twitter, but I'm, I'm off Twitter. It's too, uh, hate, this is the word I hate, is toxic, too poisonous. So no no more Twitter. Um, but Instagram, uh, uh, Bishop Walk. My last name, by the way, looks like Wack, W-A-C-K, but we say Wack. It's German, Bishop Wack. Um, and through the diocese, I don't do Facebook, but the diocese does. And so I have videos on there. I try to really teach and connect with people. Um, I, I did a little three-part series on the Eucharist, EWTN promoted, which was really nice. Um, but I just try to teach and encourage people through my videos and my writings, mostly found on the Diocese of Pensacola, Tallahassee webpage. Wonderful. Well, we'll have links to all of that in the show notes for people to be able to access. And uh, Bishop Bill, final question. I ask all my first time first time guests, what gives you hope? What gives me hope is, um, as I said, it's that it's the, the joy of the saints and not just the saints in the past, but people around me who who admit like I do that life is hard. There are so many challenges. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but it doesn't matter because God is with us. So it's people who who encourage me that saying, you know what, we know that. No matter what happens, all will be well, as St. Julian Julian of Norwich said. All will be well. All manner of things shall be well. Amen. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your reflections and giving us the time today. God bless you. Have a, have a great, great rest of your day. Thank you. God bless you. and God bless all of y'all. All right. Another great show is done with great gratitude to Bishop Bill Walk for joining me on the show and offering his reflections about following Jesus and his transition to being a bishop. Pray for him. Pray for all of our bishops throughout our country uh, and throughout our world, really. They need our prayers and support uh, that they may continue to do the work that God is asking them to do. And as much as all of us in our own lives, we must pray for clarity of vocation and, and thought and capacity and being able to know our limits and be able to give freely to the Lord and to use our talents and services uh, for the service of the gospel, to bring others closer to him to the best of our abilities. Let us all do that and support and pray for one another. So if you are new to the show, I encourage you to please check out some of the, the previous episodes. The back catalog is available on any app, depending on how you're accessing the show, whether it's on the website or on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, no matter how you find the show, there are amazing episodes waiting for you if you go through the back catalog of episodes related to overcoming perfectionism, the first five years of marriage, uh, what is Catholic feminism, what is the role of memory in scripture, how does psychology affect and impact the spiritual life, what is health and well-being, what is your free will, how do you discern all these questions we tackle on the Always So podcast, and you can find all of those episodes there on your app or on the website, faithandmarriage.org. Thanks, everybody, for your time, and I pray that you're having an amazing day. God bless.